Hey, this is Nate with Purity for Life. If you haven't already heard the big news, here it is. On April 1st, we will be officially changing the name of this podcast to the Pure Life Ministries Podcast. If you're subscribed, you don't need to do anything on your end except be on the lookout for some new album art and our new name. If you aren't subscribed, Now would be a great time to do that so that you don't need to remember to find us under our new name, the Pure Life Ministries Podcast. Once we roll out the Pure Life Ministries Podcast, I'll be explaining why we made this change and announce some other changes coming that I think you'll really find to be a blessing. All of that will happen when we release our first episode on April 1st under the new name, the Pure Life Ministries Podcast. All right, that's it for now. Here's the episode. We are wrong in our thinking, wrong in our attitudes, wrong in our perspectives of others, wrong in our values, and subsequently, wrong in the way we do life. This is why repentance takes such an integral part in our ongoing lives. Day in and day out, month after month, year after year, unceasingly, I live as a repentant person. I live in the spirit and attitude of repentance. For as often as the subject of repentance is mentioned in Scripture, you would think that Christians would understand it, that preachers would preach about it, and people would practice it. But repentance as a necessary foundational and ongoing biblical discipline is almost unheard of these days. We welcome converts into the Christian faith without a single word about their need to repent of their sins. Today, we will look at this critical issue as Steve Gallagher teaches us that repentance must become an integral part of a new lifestyle. I'm your host, Jim Lewis. This is Purity for Life. Repent. What does it even mean? Here at Pure Life, we deal with men on a daily basis who come to us straight from the local evangelical church who are mired in long-term, habitual, sexual sin. Obviously, there is a problem, and much of it lies in the fact that not only have they never repented, they don't even understand what real biblical repentance means. Dustin Renz helps us with a scriptural understanding. I'm joined today by Dustin Renz. Dustin is a graduate of uh, Pure Life Ministries and an associate pastor of a church in Ohio. Uh, Dustin, we've invited you here today by phone to speak to our listeners about the subject of biblical repentance. Now, you serve a local congregation, and like all congregations— even conservative, Bible-believing, Bible-preaching churches. You see your fair share of men who are struggling with all manner of addictions. We know that over 50% of all married men in Bible churches struggle with pornography. 
Uh, and that number jumps to nearly 80% for men ages 18 to 30. And that's just sexual sin. There are plenty of other addictions as well, from alcohol to food to shopping to video games, even addiction to social media. Most people want a quick fix. They want an easy solution to a life-dominating problem. And there are many voices that offer these solutions, from 28-day programs to support groups to the psychiatrist who wants to label the struggler with some psychological malady and put him on mood-altering drugs. But none of these comes close to the biblical remedy. Dustin, what is the biblical remedy for a life-dominating problem that we typically call an addiction? Sure, Jim. Um, let me first thank you for having me on. And um, the, the different systems that you're talking about, I think the biggest place that they fall short, um, they all maybe have some value in the, in the natural realm, because obviously addiction affects the body, affects the mind. But sure. They don't get down to the root issue, mm-hmm. and that is because addiction is a spiritual issue. It's a sin issue, mm-hmm. and um, ultimately, it's really an issue of worship because we begin to worship created things rather than the Creator, and so it's idolatry. We put yeah. something in the place of God in our lives, and the only way to deal with sin, um, according to the Bible, God's only remedy for that is biblical repentance. All right. Well, we're down to it. I'm sure that in your church, repentance is preached, because I know you, Uh, because you're on staff there, and I know what you preach. But the preaching of repentance is not generally heard much today. Uh, Have you seen this as a reality in the modern church? Yeah, I think when it comes to repentance, it's kind of interesting that the modern-day church is kind of all over the map theologically on a lot of issues, and, and I think this is one of them. And you actually do have portions of the church that they talk about repentance, but in a negative light. They, they teach that repentance is no longer needed in our lives because Jesus' uh, grace covers us past, present, future. Wow. And so they will actually tell Christians, you know, you, repentance is not a necessary thing. Um, I think probably more common than that is uh, a lot of churches, they, they'll preach repentance only as it relates to salvation. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, Jesus' ministry early on, he said, repent and believe, and so they see that in the Scripture, and you may hear it um, at an altar call or call to salvation, and then it's kind of absent the rest of the time. And what I think probably is the most common issue with churches, with pastors, I don't know if it's a theological difference. I don't know if they would disagree with some of the things we're talking about. I think part of the issue um, is that it's simply easier to avoid the topic of repentance because you don't want to offend anybody. Right. And um, being in ministry for years, and actually a repentance preacher myself, I still, when the Lord has me preach repentance, I still struggle of thinking about, you know, what is this person going to think, and what is this group, how are they going to respond? And the, the temptation when the Lord gives you a strong message, is to just to begin to kind of trim off the hard parts and kind of, you know, water it down, and the pastors are afraid that people are going to leave their church and take their tithe money. There's all kinds of dynamics, and so I think a lot of times it's a lot of fear. I think maybe uh, pastors believe it, and they don't want to preach it, and so I think what's happened is repentance has become more and more rare, 
uh, whether it's a theological difference or whether it's just because uh, they're afraid to preach it. But you just, I, I know people who've gone to churches almost their whole lives, and they'll tell, and they've told me before, I've never heard a message on repentance uh, before at that church, going there for years, Sunday after Sunday, which boggles my mind, but I think it's more common in the American church than we think. Sure. Fear of man on the part of the preacher keeps him from a lot of biblical topics that we, that, that people need to hear. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and the problem, when you ignore repentance, you actually deny your people a chance to find the freedom that they need. Yeah. And so you actually, uh, by, by not stepping out and preaching God's Word, you actually are keeping people from the freedom that they're longing for. From a right relationship with God. Isn't that something? Right. Okay. Well, Dustin, uh, let me ask you to share a little bit of uh, personal testimony before we get into the real uh, meat of the subject. Tell me what happened in your life when your sexual sin was exposed, and what was your experience of repentance? So... When, when mine was exposed, I was on the mission field. My wife and I, uh, we were serving in southeastern Europe, and I confessed one morning to my wife. Prior to that, for years, I had been in ministry, and also sexual sin and drug and alcohol addiction um, were all part of that. And so by the time I confessed, I had become a really good actor, and it totally uh, shocked my wife, of course, and our life immediately changed. We were flown yeah. back to the U.S. and asked to resign. And what happened for me, it, it, there's about an eight-month period where um, I, I suddenly didn't have a spiritual mask to hide behind. And so I was, uh, I, I had to deal with some of these things, and we had some leadership that gave us some recommendations. And one of the things they said is you should go see a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. Um, at 14, I was diagnosed bipolar, and they did some tests when I came back from the from overseas. They said, you're dealing with double depression and anxiety. And so I went to a psychiatrist. They gave me a pill. And I really hoped. I thought, maybe this pill is going to fix my problem, and then mm-hmm. this is the reason I've got a cat. I need help. And, of course, that didn't change anything. Right. Um, they said, you need to go see a psychologist. And so I went to see a Christian psychologist. And my experience with him after several sessions, I, I remember, because we, we basically dug through my childhood, he said, you know, you were exposed to pornography at seven years old, and you went through a really hard divorce with your parents, and, you know, kind of, I, I felt empowered in my sin, because I felt like I had someone or some situation to blame, um, rather than take ownership myself, and so... Of course, that didn't help very much, and um, they said go to a 12-step program. So I found a Christian 12-step program at a church, and I went there several times. And, you know, we'd have our meeting, and then afterwards they got into accountability groups, and all I remember is it seemed like week after week people were just confessing the sins of that week. And so right. they'd say, you know, I really messed up, and here's what I did, and, and I didn't see freedom there. And... As a last resort, after eight months, the, the, our leadership said, well, you should check out Pure Life Ministries since you've got a problem with pornography. It was kind of an afterthought, but I contacted Pure Life, and I, I had no real faith or hope that the program was going to help me or that God could do anything for me. Mm. But it wasn't until I came into Pure Life when I really began the true process of repentance and, and walked through a season where God really set me free uh, from the addictions and from the sin. All right, so you came into real repentance. 
And yeah. again, I've heard you preach repentance. I know that you've considered this at great length. Uh, you've been preaching it for years now. Uh, you mm-hmm. have convictions based on Scripture about what real repentance looks like. But mm-hmm. I want you to get us started by telling us what repentance is not, what often passes as repentance that isn't repentance at all. Sure. I, I see this a lot in my own story, but as well as, as people that I minister to. Some people equate confessing to God as repentance and that idea of confession. And I remember myself begging God to set me free and saying I was sorry and Mm -hmm. just really just bringing it to the Lord continually, asking for His help. And the issue was I would come from that experience, and several days later, several weeks later, temptation would come again, and I'd fall again. And I'd go back to the Lord, and I'd confess, and I'd apologize. And, And when I look over that season of my life for years, I realized I wasn't really getting free. I was simply going to the Lord and confessing. And so I think some people um, think confessing to God is repentance, but also I see um, some people who confess to one another and uh, think that that's enough, because um, my story, when I was in Bible college, a a friend of mine, close friend, he's still a friend of mine, but um, we, we decided, we were both struggling with the same sin, with pornography, and so we decided that we would become accountability partners for each other. And what that looked like is we would confess to one another. So one of us would look at pornography, we'd call the other one, and we would confess it. And we would say, you know, I feel so bad. And and we would encourage one another, we'd pray together, and then maybe the next week he would call me and say the same thing. And it was the same pattern of confession and then sin and the confession and sin. And when I think about confession, I realize it's a part of repentance, obviously, confessing to the Lord. It's a biblical concept and confessing to other people, but it has a certain pacifying effect to the guilt of sin. And right. so when you confess, you feel a little bit better about your sin, and then maybe for a few days you have some strength, but it doesn't actually have the power in and of itself to set you free. And so I think confession and repentance are kind of used interchangeably, but repentance is a much deeper work than simply the act of confession. All right. Repentance is a much deeper work than confession. I think that's good to emphasize. Now, take us to the Scripture. Describe for us the difference between true repentance and just feeling sorry over your sin. Anybody who has uh, any conscience feels sorry uh, for their sin, and if and if they have any familiarity with the Christian faith, they come under conviction but conviction and sorrow are not the same as repentance. Describe the difference for us there. Sure. The the passage that comes to mind uh, the most, and I, I love that God had the Apostle Paul put this portion in Second Corinthians, but yeah. in chapter 7, he's writing this letter to the, the church, and he's written a previous letter and dealt pretty strongly with some things that they needed to deal with, and he's rejoicing in Second Corinthians that the fact that the church— was brought into true repentance. And in verse 10 of that letter, he said, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. And so he defines these two kinds of sorrow, and the way I would explain worldly sorrow, it's, it's a sincere sorrow, and so it's, it's very deceptive because it looks like the real thing. Yeah. 
but it's mostly sorrow for the things that are happening to me. It's it's a selfish kind of sorrow. I'm sorry because I got caught. I'm sorry mm-hmm. because of the consequences. Uh, it's a very self-centered sorrow. And Paul says that that doesn't bear fruit. That actually leads to death. But there is a kind of sorrow that God provides, he calls it godly sorrow, that brings repentance, and that's when we feel sorry because of what our sin is doing to a holy God. And it's really a night and day difference, feeling sorry for your sin, and selfishly, and feeling sorrow because um, my sins offended a holy God are two completely different things. And Paul says one bears the fruit of death, and one bears the fruit of repentance. Wow. That's a... Really good explanation. Okay, I think we've got the grasp on what doesn't constitute repentance. It's not apologizing to God. It's not confessing to God. It's not just feeling sorry for the consequences of sin. So give us the positive. What does true biblical repentance look like? Sure. I think repentance is one of the most beautiful things that the Lord can do in someone's life, having experienced it, having preached it all these years. Um, but the reason is because repentance looks like a changed life. Mm. Um, there's a couple passages. Um, John the Baptist in, in Luke 3, he commands people, he says, we need to produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And in Acts 26, Paul says that, he said, I, I taught people, I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. Yes. And so there's this biblical concept that repentance has to bear some kind of fruit in our lives, or it's not true repentance. And, um, you know, you and I deal a lot with uh, sexual addiction, obviously, um, either if I'm traveling with Pure Life or with my own ministry, I I deal with that a lot. And so what I see so many times, people, uh, men will come to me after I I preach repentance or preach on purity. Um, They come to the book table or they come up to the altar and, and I get the same story over and over from from people. They say, "I've repented, and I'll go. I'll be really good for a couple weeks, and then I'll fall again, and then I'll repent, and then I'll be good for a month, and yes. I'll try really hard, and I, I do everything I can. And I feel really bad, but I keep falling and keep falling. And the thing that I can say, it's hard in a five minute conversation with somebody to really get a chance to get into their situation, but from a surface level, I can at least look at that that man's life and say, you have not experienced true, deep repentance because the, the fruit of your life is not bearing freedom. Mm-hmm. Now, perhaps the Lord might have started a work of repentance, and, and they're in that process, so there's that's where, you, without really counseling one-on-one, uh, having a chance to hear where they're at, but it seems to be a very common theme in the Church. Men, Christian men, who think they're repenting, and they're falling into sin over and over. And really, when you look over the, the grand scope of their life, they're really just in sin. They just have moments of, of abstinence in between it. Right. And so the way that I know personally that I've repented of pornography when I was at Pure Life Ministries is because nine years later, it's still not a part of my life. <laughs> and it doesn't mean temptation can't come. It doesn't even mean someone can't fall in a moment of weakness, but... but no one could look at my life and say pornography has any grasp at all. And so that's that's the freedom. Um, I'm not falling every couple months or every six months. I'm not continually having that, that, that struggle. And so when if you want to know, if you've gone to, down to the altar, you've repented, you feel like you've confessed, you've done all these things, the, the fruit will be continued freedom, um, and you'll see a changed life. That's that's the result that God wants to wants to do, and that's the difference between someone who's 
kind of in that cycle of false repentance, I would call it, where they're just kind of continually in sin but trying to get free, and someone who's truly repented, there'll be that fruit that demonstrates the fact that they've repented in their life. Thank you so much for that, Dustin. Now, as as we finish up today, what is the central message that you want to provide for our listeners? Sum this up for us. Talk to us about the, the power and value of real biblical repentance. Real biblical repentance is the only antidote that God gives for sin. And just confessing to God, confessing to other people, that's a piece of the puzzle, but in and of itself, it's not the, it's not the full act of repentance. Uh, simply feeling sorry for your sin and your consequences and for yourself because of your sin is not true repentance, but when true biblical repentance is worked in someone's life, they'll see the fruit of it in their lives, and the fruit of that is true freedom uh, from the power of these addictions that we're talking about. And the advice that I would give um, to people, because people will ask me, well, what do I do? I'm, I'm stuck. I'm, I'm looking at pornography. I'm in some kind of sexual sin. I'm in this relationship, and, and I just don't know uh, what to do. How do I repent? And there's a couple of passages, one's in Acts 11 and one's in Second Timothy 2, that both talk about God granting people repentance. Right. And that's my encouragement always to somebody. If you don't see the fruit of repentance that we're talking about uh, in this podcast, the best thing you can do is just begin to cry out to God for it. He's a good Father. He wants, to, he wants people to be repentant. He wants you to be free. And so the starting place is just to admit, this is, I, I'm not where I need to be. I have not walked through full repentance. Humble yourself before God. Allow Him to break you and ask Him uh, to, to do that work of true repentance in your life so that you can move from where you're at now into a place of true freedom in Christ. Mm. Well, Dustin, thank you so much. This has been very helpful. I'm sure that you're pointing a lot of our listeners in the right direction. God bless you. You too. Thanks for having me on again. Okay. Steve Gallagher repented of his sins when he made his break from pornography and a life dominated by sexual sin. God began to walk him into wholeness and healing from his sin-scarred past. But along the way, he discovered something that was critical to his spiritual life in God, that God was interested in far more than his sexual sin, and that an even deeper and ongoing repentance would be required if he was going to grow in faith and in his relationship with Christ. A deeper, ongoing repentance is actually required of us all. Okay, truth number 12. You must repent of sexual sin. Nineteen ninety-two held the potential to be a major step forward in my spiritual life. If things went well, I would be stepping into a deeper level of the kingdom of God than I had ever experienced before. Magnificent treasures of truth would be there for the taking. However, in the fall of 1991, none of this was in my thinking. 
We had just sold the small farmhouse that we had used to open the Pure Life Ministries residential program in. In less than two years, we had grown from six men in the program to 17 men, jam-packed into that little house. So the Lord miraculously worked out a deal where we were able to sell that house and buy the property where the Pure Life Ministries facility is today. Things were going well in the ministry, but the level of my spiritual and emotional maturity was not commensurate with our outward success. I greatly needed the Lord to do some serious soul work in me. And this sense of need was compounded because for several months I really felt disconnected from the Lord. Morning after morning I would plead with Him to come to me, to make Himself real to me, to fill me with His Holy Spirit. Of course, I was hoping for a powerful outpouring of His Spirit that would encourage me and bless me. But God knows better than I do what I really need. One Sunday in November 1991, Kathy and I visited a small church nearby. I wanted to check it out in the hopes that we could start bringing our staff and students there on Sundays. There were about 70 people in that congregation, and I knew that if we decided to start attending services there, we'd be adding another 25 or 30 people. But before I made that commitment, I wanted to make sure that the pastor preached the truth. In other words, I was there for the sole purpose of checking them out. I wasn't at all expecting what happened next. The pastor spoke on the subject of love from Luke 6 that morning. I can't say that it was a particularly stirring message. In fact, I don't even remember it being that great as sermons go. Nevertheless, as he began talking about our need to love others, I felt a growing sense of conviction. As he was wrapping up his sermon, he invited those who needed to get right with God to come forward. Now, it goes without saying that the altar call was for sinners or backslidden Christians, not for me. I was walking with the Lord. And besides, I was there to check the church out. I wasn't there to repent. But I couldn't escape the sense that the Lord was prodding me to respond to that altar call. So, out of sheer obedience to God, I humbled myself and made the long trek up the aisle to the front of the church. To my surprise, as soon as my knees hit the floor at the altar, I began to weep. All I could see was how prideful and self-centered I still was. I saw the lack of mercy and love in my life. And the more God showed me, the more I wept. Pretty soon, deep sobs were racking my whole frame. Months of frustration came boiling out of me. In front of this congregation, which I had been so concerned about impressing, I was blubbering like a baby. It was a terrible experience in the flesh, and yet was one of the greatest days of my life. My prideful thinking, selfish nature, and stubborn will were all dealt a severe but precise blow that day. Out of that experience came a new brokenness that greatly affected the way I treated other people. And this is the kind of repentance that men in sexual sin need to experience. Unfortunately, most sex addicts are blind to how sinful they are. And most of them make the common mistake of thinking they've repented many times over the years. What they don't realize is that they haven't been repenting. They've been making resolutions to quit sinning. And there's a big difference between the two. 
A resolution made in the flesh has no power to overcome a spiritual problem like habitual sexual sin. No, repentance is something altogether different from resolving to do better. The kind of repentance that changes the course of a life is something only the Holy Spirit can produce. No wonder Scripture treats it as such an important subject. The Hebrew word for repentance literally means to turn back. The Greek term means to change one's thinking about something. Joining those two definitions together creates the whole package. Repentance means to change your perspectives and opinions about some particular behavior and then, as a result of that change in thinking, to do an about-face from the sin and toward the Lord. True repentance involves a change of the entire person, the mind, which is one's intellect, the emotions, which involves one's affections, and the will, which sets the course of a person's life. Because the carnal mind is hostile toward God and can never be otherwise, a new mind is mandatory. Repentance, then, is not merely the changing of the mind about certain subjects, but an exchange of the mind of the flesh for the mind of the spirit. Genuine repentance also involves a change of affections. In the past, we've loved our sin, savored the very thought of it, and have done our utmost to keep from losing it. But every time a person experiences godly repentance, the love for that sin dies a little bit more and a hatred of it begins to form in the heart. The Lord purposely allows sin to have a host of painful consequences so that we'll come to hate it. Genuine repentance also involves a change in a person's will. It's true that we need our perspective about sin to change, And likewise, we need our love for it to fade and our hatred of it to grow. But ultimately, it's a person's will that makes the decisions about whether or not he will succumb to temptation. And I also need to say that our repentance shouldn't be limited to sexual sin. Our entire beings have been corrupted by sin. We are wrong in our thinking, wrong in our attitudes, wrong in our perspectives of others, wrong in our values, and subsequently, wrong in the way we do life. This is why repentance takes such an integral part in our ongoing lives. That painful episode I experienced at that little church was actually just one of many such experiences I've had in my life. And I can't ever see a time in my life on earth that I will not feel a need to continue to repent. There is much about me that remains unchristlike. True repentance is not a single act, but an ongoing and continual attitude. It is never enough to say, I repented. You must be able to say, I am repentant. Day in and day out, month after month, year after year, unceasingly, I live as a repentant person. I live in the spirit and attitude of repentance. But this wonderful gift from God does not come to people who are content with their lives. It's only for those who are desperate for change. If you've wallowed in the cesspool of sin over a long period of time, I guarantee that your heart has become very hard and calloused. Your hope is not in going to a support group meeting every week. Your hope is to begin calling out to God to break you over your sinful attitudes and affections and to give you the gift of repentance. 
I spent months in 1991 asking the Lord to help me. At the time, I didn't realize that what I really needed was a deeper breaking, a deeper repentance. But the Lord knew what I needed, and when I least expected it, there it was. That experience with repentance prepared me for the great blessings the Lord had in store for me in the coming months and years. Peter told the people of his day, Repent and return so that your sins may be wiped away in order that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Yes, begin calling out to the Lord to lead you into that kind of repentance. It will most certainly come, but it will probably be when you least expect it. It's not only important to tell a person what he must do, it's important to tell him how to do what he must do. And because it's so easy to get something like repentance wrong, because we misunderstand its place and purpose, what it is and what it looks like, we want to give you a guide on how to repent. We asked Nathan Bohr to help us. Joined in the studio today by Nathan Bohr. Nathan is a biblical counselor here at Pure Life Ministries. Nathan, it's always good to have you in the studio. Thank you very much, Jim. It's a pleasure to be here. Nathan, we are talking today about the subject of repentance, and eventually we want to get to the point of how does a person repent. But to get us started, Talk to me about where we see repentance taught in the New Testament. Who taught repentance and what did they say? Well, Jim, men like John the Baptist and Jesus Hmm. and the disciples and Peter, uh, it's hard to get very far in the New Testament without coming across repentance. Um, What really surprises me is how John the Baptist preaches a sermon of repentance prior to... He's preaching repentance to pave the way for Jesus. Yeah. Now, most people who know John the Baptist probably remember him as a preacher of repentance. John the Baptist came in the wilderness preaching, saying, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. But we don't remember Jesus that way. But Jesus taught repentance too, right? That's correct. In Matthew 4, 17, Jesus said, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He also instructed the the disciples, and he summoned the twelve and sent them out in pairs and gave them authority over unclean spirits. And they went out and preached that men should repent. Wow. Well, what about um, the two great uh, apostles of the New Testament, Peter and Paul? Well, Peter at Pentecost told them to repent, and each of you will be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in order to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, they had to repent first. And they were also instructed to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sins. It's an interesting um, step-by-step process there. If you had to summarize Paul's preaching everywhere that he went, he taught repentance. So John the Baptist, Jesus, 
the disciples, Peter and Paul, I think we can call repentance a consistent New Testament thing. Now, there's an interesting dynamic when it comes to repentance. And that dynamic is that repentance is a gift from God, but it is also a command from God. And now we'll get into this a little bit more, but first, show us where in the New Testament we are told that repentance is a gift from God. Well, Jim, in Acts eleven seventeen through 18, it says, Therefore, if God gave to them the same gift as he gave to us also, after believing in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I, that I could stand in God's way. When they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well then, God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to life. So where else do we find repentance is a gift from God? Well, writing to Timothy about dealing with men to whom he speaks in his congregations or in the community who oppose his message, he says, The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. Second Timothy two twenty four and 26. Well, I love that passage of Scripture uh, because it tells the man of God how to deal with someone who doesn't want to hear what he has to say. But you're right. It it says that God will give to them uh, repentance. So the Jews received the gift of repentance. The Gentiles received the gift of repentance. And And Paul is telling Timothy that perhaps somebody who opposes the gospel will be given repentance. God gives repentance as a gift. We are only able to repent because God allows it and enables us to do it. And yet repentance often appears in the New Testament as a command given to men by godly preachers. We are commanded to to repent. Isn't that so? That is correct. It's kind of phenomenal that God commands us to do it, and then he gives us the grace to do it. It, It's as if uh, he tells us, this is what you're going to do, and I know you can't do it, so I'm going to help you do it, but you have to initiate it. Mm. Okay, I think we got it. Repentance is a command, but it's also a gift from God. He demands it, but then he supplies the demand. That's correct. God is intimately acquainted with all our ways. If we want to repent, he's right there leading us to do it. It's far more likely that if we want to repent, it's because the Holy Spirit has been working on us to bring conviction. He gives us the gift of repentance, which then gives us the grace to do it. God is involved in every aspect of our salvation, enabling us to be obedient and our parts, which are repentance and faith. We are commanded to believe, but God gives us the gift of faith. We couldn't do anything without his will and cooperation. Well, Nathan, Pastor Steve is going to tell us that repentance is total life change. 
It's a change of mind. It's a change of will. It's a change of emotions. Dustin Renz is going to tell us that repentance is more than feeling remorse uh, and that it's more than confessing our sins. But what I, I want you to tell our listeners is what to do when you feel the need to repent. Hands on, real time, what does repentance look like? I come to you as my counselor and I say, Brother Nathan, show me how to repent. Well, first of all, Jim, you got to give God all the glory and honor and praise that he led you to <laughs> yes, sir, you desiring did. repentance at all, because that doesn't come naturally. Right. And then the next thing that I would have anyone do is to pray. Mm. I would encourage whomever to renounce the sin that they are convicted of, Right. then as well as confess the sin that they are convicted of. And then thank the Lord for his forgiveness and ask for the gift of repentance. I then could open to Colossians chapter 3, and if you give me a minute, I'll get there. But it talks about how to put off the old man and put on the new man. So it's not just a stopping of a bad behavior after I've renounced it and confessed it and asked God to give me the gift of repentance for it. It's what goes on in the place of what I'm repenting of as well. Colossians 3, one. If Therefore, if you have been raised with Christ to a new life, sharing in his resurrection from the dead, keep seeking the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind and keep focused habitually on the things above, the heavenly things, not on the things that are on earth, which have only temporal value. For you died to this world, and your new real life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. And I could keep going on, but you get the idea. The focus has to go off of what we were convicted of and onto God's replacement for it. If I am convicted of lust, I'm looking to God to replace it with his love, which Mm. is a a characteristic that comes only from him. Right. Nathan, you're describing a repentance that isn't a one-time thing. You're describing a repentance that happens all the time for Christians. Isn't that right? That's correct. Once you start repenting, You may be tempted to think that it's just a one-and-done deal. But as you continue to walk out the Word of God in your life, you will find that it is a way of life. It is the process of sanctification. It is a constant turning from self and to God so that you can model His character through your life, further glorifying Him in everything that you do and say. Being convicted of sin, confessing sin, renouncing sin, but more importantly, putting it off. That's the total change. And then putting on a characteristic or a fruit of the Holy Spirit. So repentance leads right into sanctification. Yes, Jim. Repentance is just one step in the direction of sanctified living. Well, thank you very much. You've brought us some really great insight from the Word of God today. Well, praise the Lord. Thank you so much for having me. 
the very first words from the lips of Jesus in the first gospel written. In Mark chapter 1, we hear Jesus say, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and put your trust in the gospel. Some 60 years later, the resurrected Christ wrote letters to seven churches in Asia Minor that he revealed through John. And in five of those seven letters, he told his churches to repent. Repentance is not just something that we do when we first come into the faith, but an ongoing discipline of the Christian life that should grow deeper over time as God reveals more and more that he wants to root out and as he walks us ever more into holiness and the likeness of his Son, which is the goal of the Christian life. That's all for today. We'll see you next time. Purity for Life is a production of Pure Life Ministries. For over 30 years, Pure Life Ministries has been the go-to for those whose lives have been devastated by sexual sin. Visit us on the web for more information about our life-changing counseling programs and powerful teaching materials. Also check out our video clips of men and women whose lives have been radically transformed. All that and more at purelifeministries.org.